Hey, this is Dan Kelly, Fortune Youth, and you listen to Modern Problems Radio. All right, Davey Love, Royal Fox Studio, Modern Problems Show. Let me introduce you to the cast of characters. Are you ready? Next to me, straight from DC, give it up for Genta. Oh, thank you so much. That was lovely, Davey Love Love. I loved it. Namaste. That means go fuck yourself. I know what that means. That's right. Diagonal from me. He just got back from a charity event tossing midgets out to coronavirus recovery victims. Mike Tepper, the hot stepper. That is slanderous lies. All lies. Fake news. And across from me, straight from... The championship karate fight. <laughs> Show! Gun. I see what he Super did there. featherweight champion of the world. That's right. Tonight we got a good show. We got Elliot Lewis from Hall and Oates and live from Daryl's house. Next week, we have porn star comedian Sylvia Sage. Ride the snake. Ride the snake. <laughs> Different implications. Now, let's give it up for our sponsors, the one that pays the bills here. Tapper, tell them about your favorite <laughs> coffee. Ooh, I wish I had some right now because you can't find any goddamn coffee in this town after 6 p.m. I'm talking about high AF coffee, baby. Get some. Oh, yeah. Highafcoffee.com. They got something brewing for you. Gentle. Tell them about our other sponsor, Royal Fox Studio. Oh, well, I can tell you it's the foxiest studio around extra foxy and mm. and it's orange that's it, all i got it's orange it's an ochre it's like a burnt umber it's yeah, like burnt umber. pumpkin spice up in here bitches oh, yeah. yes fall season speaking of being stressed and pumpkin spice if you don't like that shit you might need some cbd the remedy 43 North Colony Street, Wallingford, Connecticut. Connecticut's first and only CBD craft store. You need CBD? You know where to go. TheRemedy.care. Yeah, tell a modern problem sent you. That's right, boy! Bung, bung. That's right. Hello, Elliot. What's going on? It's Davey Love from Modern Problem Show. How you doing? Hey, Davey. How are you, man? Good. All right, Elliot Lewis. Tonight we have Elliot Lewis on Modern Problems Show. Let me introduce you to the cast of characters. Are you ready? I'm ready. 
All right. Next to me, we have from DC, Gentle. Hello, Elliot. Hello. Nice how are you? I'm fabulous. Nice to have you. Good to be here. <laughs> All right. Yay. Diagonal from me, we have Mike Tepper, the hot stepper. Hey, how's it going? Good, man. How you doing? Good, good. And then across from me, we have the producer extraordinaire, Shogun. Hey, welcome to the show. Glad to have you. Oh, good, good to be with you guys. Yeah, it's nice. So, man, how's everything going uh, with 2020 and uh, playing gigs and stuff? I saw you've played a couple gigs. Uh, I mean, wow. <laughs> you know, it was very, very scary to start with. And... Um, you know, I was touring with Hall and Oates uh, at the beginning of when everything kind of went south. Um, we were finishing up. Uh, well, actually, we were just starting a tour with Squeeze, and we did, um, uh, I think, Hershey, Pennsylvania, and then we ended up in Madison Square Garden on uh, February 28th. So just as this thing was starting to to really um, take hold, you know, we were in New York in kind of the middle of it. Oh shit. Um, so, but, you know, um, trying to make the best of it, you know, I, I, uh, I took a couple of weeks to try to get my head around it and then, and then started working, started getting really creative and, uh, started writing a lot, right. um, doing live streams and, uh, you know, kind of like what everybody started doing, just trying to move forward any way you could, you know? Mm, mm. Like after 2020, your last show to play with Hall and Oates at the garden, that's pretty impressive. Like to end that. Yeah. Way. Yeah, I always, you know, I kind of, I thought, wow, you know, when it got really scary in March, I thought, well, if this is the last show I ever do, it's, <laughs> I just won't be, have been that show, you know? Right, right, right. Now, I dug deep on this one. I got a, I got a good question for you. Uh, sure. Schoolboy Crush, which you uh, sang, you wrote that song, correct? Oh, no, no, no. That's that's before my time. I mean, I played it with Average White Band, you know, over okay. the course of 13 years. But no, I didn't write that. No. Oh, OK. All right. Good, good. Yeah, that's that's uh, that was written back in the 70s. Yeah, right. Right. All right. Because I, I was like listening to some hip hop and I know that's been sampled a whole lot from the 80s. And I was like, oh, man, you could just retire off the samples off of that. You know, <laughs> I know. <laughs> well, I, I did write some stuff with them, but not until like the late 80s. You know, I kind of joined them. I started working with uh, Alan Gorey, the, the original bass player. Right. And like, uh, I don't know, around 87 or something like that. And we were we were like a co-writing uh, team for a couple of years. And then they put the band back together. And I was just kind of a member by default, you know, because right. I had written some songs with them. And and all of a sudden I was in the band and 13 years later. <laughs> oh, yeah. You had Spirit of Love. I love that one. That one's an amazing sh song. Oh, yeah. OK, cool. You know that one. Yes, yeah. yes. Yeah, I did. I was like then it w I was like doing the research and I'm like, oh, I saw and it says singing lead vocals on Schoolboy Crush. And I'm like, oh, shit. And then I saw you playing that in a guitar center on uh, Instagram. And I was like, oh, man, De La Sola sampled that, Eric B. and Rakim, all these 80s, like, hip-hop legends. I know, I know, yeah. They got a lot of mileage out of that one. Yeah, they <laughs> definitely did. I didn't even know it was from Average White Band. I was thinking it was from James Brown, because it has yeah. that total beat to it and everything. Well, it's funny you should say that, because, I mean, I grew up uh, as a drummer. I started drums when I was a little kid, 
And my first band that that I was a member of when I was about 11 years old, we were playing Pick Up the Pieces. And, um, you know, everybody assumed when it came out on the radio, it was a, a James Brown single, you know. And then to find out it was, you know, four or five white guys from Scotland. Yeah. <laughs> it, was, it was awesome. <laughs> that, that is awesome. You grew up, you grew up in Norwalk, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I grew up, um, um, let's see, uh, sort of near the original um, uh, Stu Leonard's. Ah. So, so, so I was in that area. Gotcha. Yeah, but I moved. I moved around a little bit. I ended up in South Norwalk and Sono for a few years. Actually, more than a few years. I, I moved down there in the '80s and kind of opened up a studio, and uh, and then moved back back there in the mid '90s, something like that. But I'm still in Connecticut. Uh, I'm up in uh, you know a little bit north, out just outside of Hartford. But oh, uh, nice. but yeah, Norwalk's my hometown. Ah, so you were down in South Norwalk though during the shenanigans times. Yes. Oh, yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Now, good uh, times down there. Oh, yeah. Definitely good times. Now, with all the artists that you have played with, and you probably have one of the biggest resumes from your time at Live from Daryl's house. Would you say that they're sitting in with you, or you're sitting in with them at Live from Daryl's house when they play with you? Um, I would say they're sitting in with us because just because we're sort of a formed band, you know, it's really, um, you know, the musicians, the band was basically the Hall and Oates band. I mean, it kind of, you know, a few, a few musicians changed over the course of time, but I was, I have been kind of in there since the beginning. So I did all the shows online from Daryl's house, but I would say because the band is sort of the nucleus of it and with Daryl. And then we have this, you know, one guest, or sometimes it's like the singer of a band with his guitar player. Right. Uh, they're sort of guests, and but I mean, you know, it's it's sort of split evenly. You know, we'll we'll end up doing a couple of songs from the guest, and then the guest, whoever that is, picks a couple of songs from from Daryl's uh, catalog or Hall and Oates catalog. Right. So uh, you know, it's been pretty mind blowing <laughs> the amount of people I've worked with on that show. You worked with Toots on there, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But pretty early on, yeah. Uh, we did uh, a show in Jamaica wow. uh, with him and Billy Ocean and, um, God, I'm, I'm drawing a blank on the other guy. Um, uh, but, yeah, we, we we had three different artists, and he was one of them in, in Jamaica. It was great. Wow, wow. Like to me, I'll that... never forget that episode because we did it in his house and it was like a hundred degrees. I mean, we're all in shorts and t-shirts and, and he comes in in a leather suit. <laughs> <laughs> wow. This guy, <laughs> he's for real, man. <laughs> that, that is funny. That is awesome. Like, and can you just for uh, people that don't know, can you give us a list of some of your favorite uh, people that you've performed with? Either with Hall Notes or other artists, or live from Daryl's house. Oh yeah, um, I mean because there's there's so many. I mean there's almost a hundred uh, people that we work with on Daryl's show. Right. Um, but there's a lot of you know there's a lot of artists that I grew up listening to and it was influenced by and they were kind of childhood heroes. So um, definitely Todd Rundgren. Mm. Um, early on, Smokey Robinson was pretty amazing just because he's so legendary. Wow. Uh, but yeah, Todd Rundgren and, um, Billy Gibbons from ZZ Tobbs are really one of my favorite guitar players. 
Um, you know, Joe Walsh. I mean, you know, who doesn't know Joe Walsh? Oh, yeah, Joe history? Walsh. Uh, that was definitely a highlight. And I'm a big, big uh, Cheap Trick fan. So they were definitely a highlight. And they were, you know, I've been a fan of Cheap Trick since I was a kid in the 70s. And every time that Daryl would sort of, you know, kind of ask the band or any of us, like, who should we have as a guest? You know, who? And I'd always be like, let's get Cheap Trick, please. And so, you know, after two or three years <laughs> of, of bringing Cheap Trick up, it finally happened, you know, because they're always touring. Yeah. Right, uh, right. A lot of these artists are, you know, so so scheduling them was always the biggest challenge for, you know, Daryl and his, uh, his, his producer and, and manager and stuff. Right. But, uh, yeah. And there's there's a ton of others, you know, Train, Goo Goo Dolls. There's there's so many other bands that are just all amazing. Right. I think I saw, I know I saw one you guys did with uh, Dirty Heads, and you guys did, uh, I think, Sarah Smile, a little reggae version of that was pretty nice. Right, right, yeah. You know, we would always try to get, you know, the artists would always want to do, like, Sarah Smile or Rich Girl or, you know, No Can Do, but we did those so many times. So, you know, so Daryl would try to get the guests to to find deeper cuts in his catalog, you know. Oh, uh, yeah. But if, if we couldn't, we, then we would try to at least you know, give the, uh, the song a different, uh, a different vibe, you know, a different mm. take on it. That's what I like about the show. We actually, uh, I used to manage a band actually that, uh, played Daryl's house, uh, for like one of their outdoor sessions, Black Rock oh, cool. Social. Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah. It's a great venue. Have, have you ever been there? Oh yeah. I've been there a couple of times. I love it. I'm like, I love the food there. I love the way they treat everybody. I love the way it's set up. It's it's just yeah. an amazing place. You feel like you're on vacation yeah, when you go there, and great music, great vibes all the way around. Yeah, great sound, and yeah, everything is done right there. Oh, it's yeah. a great little venue. Connecticut needs more uh, stuff like that around, I think. Yeah, totally. You know that firsthand now, being in the Hartford area uh, with the venues around, and then Bridgeport, you know, you got the Black Rock area and uh, New Haven. <clears throat> but a lot of those uh, places are really suffering now during COVID yeah. and stuff like that. Of course, I know it's, it's such a shame. It's hard. It's actually heartbreaking to see some of these venues that have been around for so long. I know, like the acoustic in Bridgeport. You know, I, I'm not sure if they're still open or not. You probably know better. Yeah, they're um, still they're still open. Oh, good, good. Because I, I had heard they might they were going to close, and you know, a lot of places that I've played that have been around for for a long time. Uh, just, you know, weren't able to survive, you know, they're just holding on. So, you know, hopefully we get, we get, you know, into a better place next year and, um, you know, the venues can hang on a little bit longer and hopefully new venues will open and right. we'll see what happens, you know. What scares me though is, is like, there are places doing the outdoor events, but they're upcharging right. for people and like, I'm probably wrong saying this, but you know what I mean, like hacks, right? The hacks that you see play, like, and they'll play a couple tunes, but they're in the, like background music of a bar. They're not really like why you're there. They're just there, you're right? Right. Those people are now taking those outdoor gigs from artists and charging like twenty, thirty dollars, which puts a regular artist out of the ball game altogether because they're gonna need to make much more money. And then the way the the whole thing is set up, way an artist can perform at a local venue, that's yeah. whole whole. You know, you're basically you're basically busking in a bar now if you're an artist around in Connecticut. Yeah, I know, I know. It's pretty, 
it's a whole different scenario. You know, it's uh, it's it's much more limited now. And, and the, the the biggest thing is these places that are doing. I mean, the outside thing is one thing, but right. almost every venue has to limit the amount of people that can be at the venue. You know, yeah, uh, because of the virus. So, and especially, I I was actually able to do three shows in Ohio just a couple of weeks ago. I go to Ohio, go to the Midwest a lot mm. to do my solo shows, and um, you know, so they they have to really limit how many people they can have to socially distance so you right. know they're they're bringing in less money and uh they they either have to charge a, a higher ticket price um or the artist just has to take less money yeah. so it's a it's a peculiar situation that's going on you know right uh, no one wants to be smash mouth either right <laughs> <laughs> you didn't have them on live from daryl's house i don't want to offend anybody no, no, we didn't. No. All right, good. Well, screw those guys. You don't want to be like those guys, you know, like, because, you know, some people were doing it, like thinking COVID wasn't that bad. And I'm not making fun of anyone because someone might not, it might not have affected anyone they knew. So at that time right. when you perform, you could just be like, oh, joke's on you. Like if they did the same thing for swine flu at that time, people would be like, oh, well, we made our money. You guys are suckers. But now <laughs> you right. look like an idiot otherwise. So yeah, yeah. You know, we all have to be careful and and do everything. It just we have to, you know, we just have to be careful and do things as safely as possible because we just don't know. You know, you don't know if we're going to get this thing. I mean, most of us probably aren't, but like, who wants to take a chance? You know, right, right. So, so um, you know, it's it's a it's a whole different game now. You mm. know, I mean. Um, and nobody see the problem is, is nobody has a, a crystal ball to see what's going to happen next year. Right. You know, all these artists, including Hall and Oates, they've all rescheduled the tours. You know, we're dealing with Hall and Oates. It's, you know, it's arena type shows. I mean, sheds to arena. So, you know, 6,000 to 15,000. Um, so to put 10,000 people shoulder to shoulder, in a, in a venue is, you know, we just don't know when that's going to be safe, you know? Right. Right. Um, so everybody is hoping for next year, but like I said, nobody's got a crystal ball to know exactly what's going to happen. Yep. So, um, I think really, you know, smaller independent artists, you know, this is the kind of stuff I'm doing, or there's a, a ton of us can do smaller shows and do them socially distance and, and safely, you know, we're right. not, you know, I'm not at the capacity of putting thousands of people in a room. I'm, I'm more like, you know, uh, 75 to two or 300 people, you know, is sort of my range. Right. So, um, it's a little easier to manage, uh, with those expectations and, you know, uh, doing the kind of production scale that, that Hall and Oates or, you know, uh, whoever, uh, Joe Walsh does, you know, yeah. Uh, so we'll see. We'll see what happens. Hopefully, hopefully that changes soon. Now, Gentel's got a couple questions for you. I do. Sure. I do. Um, okay, so um, I don't know if you have uh, a gal friend to hang out during this COVID time, but my next question depends on your answer. Okay, I do. <laughs> okay, and and how is that going? Uh, Are you guys broken going, up yet? What's that? Are you broken up yet? No, 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 no. Actually, our situation is not uh, is actually fine. It's it hasn't really changed. Um, you don't live together. We don't. We don't technically live together. And, and uh, she sings with me, so she's my background singer, and we've oh. been in a relationship mm. for almost five years. Um, like Julianne and Bruce. 
Yeah. Right. So, so, um, but when COVID happened, uh, and we were together at that last Hall and Oates show at, at Madison Square Garden, but then she, and she's made a, a decent living being a great background singer and doing tons of sessions, but because all of that kind of stopped, mm. she went back into healthcare. So we were sort of, um, you know, by mid-March, we we kind of got separated for a couple of months because uh, things got so bad in Massachusetts where she is. Um, you know, there was a there was a hard time crossing the border even right. uh, between the two states. So um, we got separated a little bit. So, you know, um, FaceTime. I travel so much, so so I'm sort of used to being away from her and, you know, having that couple of weeks. But this was like almost two months. Oh. But, uh, you know, we, we do what we have to do and do it as safely as we can. Yes, absolutely. Um, I do have one more question. Sure. So when you guys have the tour bus and you're hanging out outside Madison Square Garden, say, pre-COVID, and the broads or the chicks line up to meet y'all, who has the better looking ones? I'm assuming you, because you're cuter than Daryl. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. That's a yes. Uh, what was the question again? <laughs> you get the hotter looking chicks. Say it again. I, I... Oh, you want to hear it again? I, now yeah, I think quite... that I don't think your I think your phone's working and you're just joshing me now. You get the better looking chicks, Elliot, because you're cuter than Daryl. Is that oh, so? I get the better looking chicks. <laughs> <laughs> well, in, not in the past five years. My girlfriend is extremely gorgeous. Oh, so she, no, she's happy. locking you down right inside the tour bus. <laughs> not do not exit. I, I've met they, I've met his girlfriend before. I don't think he's complaining about being locked down. Oh no, no. I'm not saying. I just want to know. I just, think he's honored. You know, aesthetically, I want to know aesthetically, just for you know, human, <laughs> natural human question, curiosity. Yeah. <laughs> okay, just say Daryl and lie about it. It's okay. <laughs> well, thank you for that. Thank you for the compliment. You're welcome, doll. <laughs> Oh no! And Tepper's got a couple questions because uh, he's his father's uh, in the I, industry. Yeah, man. Um, actually, this is kind of like a weird dig deep question. Um, I know you were you were signed as a writer to Warner Chapel, right? Yeah, I was. Uh, yeah. What in what time period? Like, what years was that? Yeah. So, uh, so my first publishing deal was with Sony, right. uh, CBS, and that was like. Uh, probably around 86 or 87, okay. uh, somewhere in that range. And I was with them for about three years. Um, it was a small deal, but it was awesome. You know, it really kind of got me into the, you know, the game yeah, yeah. Uh, of writing with, with other, other great writers. And then after that expired, I got signed to, uh, to Warner Chapel and that lasted probably two or three years. So I had about six or so years of, of being like a staff writer you know, for a publishing company, which was, which was awesome. Okay, cool. Yeah. Now I asked cause, uh, for a while, my, my old man was at Warner Chapel. Oh, okay. Yeah. He was in publishing for, for a long, long time. What, uh, what years do you know? Warner Chapel, he was, it was like probably early to late nineties. Okay. Yeah. Uh, it's possible I knew him, uh, the guy who signed me at Warner Chapel, okay, was actually the bass player, the original bass player of, of the band Supertramp. 
Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. Nice. So he he formed a publishing company that was under the umbrella of Warner Chapel. Oh, okay. His gotcha. name was uh, Doogie Thompson. Okay. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. So he was good friends with Alan Gorey. Right. And that, you know, the Alan, the average white band thing kind of brought me. I had already got my deal on my own with Sony, mm-hmm. but the introduction through Alan uh, kind of got me into the Warner Chapel uh, uh, thing. Nice. Cool. So, cool. But it was great. You know, they, they sent me out to L.A. to write with a couple of people. And this is, like I said, late 80s, early 90s. So right. I was writing like I wrote a song with I don't even if you remember a band called Scritty Politti. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I wrote a song with him, and I wrote a song with Prince's uh, original drummer, Bobby Z. Yeah, oh, yeah. And it was great. You know, I was co-writing with a lot of different people and just trying to see what works and what doesn't, you know. Yeah. It was a good time for me, though. Yeah, that's kind, of, that's kind of like a weird thing, getting into the staff writer situation, you know. It, it's really different. You know, I, I'm happy I went through it, but... It, what's so weird is that, and I've told this a, a couple of times, is that when I really um, focused on being a writer and a, an artist for myself, mm-hmm. it took me a little longer because I had been a writer. You know, when you're a staff writer, you're writing songs for, for other people. Yeah. So you're trying to interpret their their sonic uh, flavor and their signature mm-hmm. and, and write for them. And then when it came time to kind of be an artist on my own, it took me a while to figure out what is it that I really want to do because right. I was writing for so many other people. But, you know, it was a great experience. And, you know, uh, you know, I was making a little bit of money and I was touring. I was a member of Average White Band. So mm-hmm. it was all good, you know. Nice. Nice. That's awesome. Actually, and actually, uh, my buddy, my buddy, Frank, I don't know if you know Frank Brocklehurst. He's a Connecticut luthier. He, mm-hmm. he actually, a couple of years ago, he either built or he rebuilt one of Alan's bases for him. Oh wow! Yeah, cool. Yeah, he built some killer stuff. Nice, yeah, nice. Yeah. I I saw you won a, a John John Lennon uh, singing songwriting contest. You won. I did. Yeah, yeah. That that's that goes back to my first solo CD. Uh, is called uh, was called Get Back What You Give. Right. Um, and I I was doing this this CD was my first, my first solo CD and my girlfriend at the time, she, she saw the, uh, the ad for the John Lennon songwriting contest. And she said, why don't you submit this song? I think it's really, it's a great song. And I think it might have a shot. And I did, she brought it to me and I didn't know anything about it. And I was like, Oh, you know, that's like winning the lottery. You know, I'm never gonna, you know, I'm never going to win that, you know, right, right. <laughs> I, I just like brushed it off. And she said, no, come on, let, let you should do it. You really should do it. It's like, you know, it, like for each entry, it's like 20 or $30 to submit a song. It's like, all right. She said, why don't you submit a couple of songs? So I was like, all right, let's, let's do it. And I, I think I submitted two or three songs and that song came in, I think number three, like third place in the R&B category. Oh, wow. But at the time, it was cool. I mean, there were like 20,000 entries in that category. So, you know, was it was I was extremely surprised <laughs> to that, win anything, that, you know, let alone. I think, you know, I got a I got a nice award for it. And I think a thousand dollars or something like that. So it was it was, it was cool. That, that's you know. definitely impressive, but not as impressive as uh, eating dinner at the White House with Obama and Michelle. 
<laughs> you know about that. Yeah, that was that was pretty mind blowing. I never, you know, with all the I've had some obviously an incredible career. I've been so fortunate to do all this stuff and travel all over the world. But I never in my wildest dreams ever thought I would end up performing at the White House for anybody. Uh, but yeah, that happened. Uh, you know, five years ago. Pretty amazing. Would you perform now if Trump invited you? <laughs> well, uh, honestly, <laughs> all right, good. I don't want to go there, but no. Yeah, there you go. All right, yeah. No, I didn't want to talk politics, but I figured since you had that fact, I was going to throw that one at you because most people, you're not alone on that one. He's Think not of, a White House. I know, I know. I don't. I don't really like to take. You know. Uh, uh, I don't. You know. I, I'm I'm so torn about it. I really am. All I can say is that I'm so out of actually all the presidents that have that have been in my lifetime. That was the one for me. Right. You know, that's all I can say that it happened under his watch was was the best scenario, I think, for all of us in the band. Yeah. And it was an incredible experience. It really was. It was a. Uh, it was super special. We, when we got the word that we were going to perform there, um, of course, I thought obviously Daryl and John are going to meet him and Michelle, but I didn't think mm, we may not actually meet him. We'll perform there, and that's good enough. I'm happy with that. Right. And um, that we we got to D.C. the day before we did the performance. And uh, we got the word that, you know, Obama said, I want to meet everybody. I want to meet everybody in the band and everybody in the crew. So bring them all in. And, and it was incredible. You know, wow. um, you kind of line up in this room and then the, you walk in and and there's Obama with his hand out going, welcome to the White House, Elliot. So glad you could be here. Like, you know, <laughs> just incredible. That's amazing. Yeah. Very so impressive. It, was a, it was a very special uh, situation. You're right on that, getting it at the right time. Like now, yeah. you'd be, like oh, what I was saying before is you're not that you're not in the loan of not wanting to go there now. Think of all the sports teams that won championships that boycotted. It's never happened before. So well, and and also it was special because you know Obama was him and Michelle really loved music. I oh mean, yeah, they were really into music and supporting the arts, uh, and they they sat you know, in the front row and they sang to every song. I mean, they were like holding each other and singing and really genuinely having a great time. They were really into it. And in fact, what happened was we, we, we knew we were going to play like five songs right? and like whatever it was like 20 or 25 minutes. And then Obama was going to come up and say something and that was going to be it. But after we finished, whatever it was, no can do, I can't go for that. He, they, everybody stood up. Oh, it was like a governor's ball. And they were like, no, 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 we want more. We want more. Keep playing. <laughs> oh, wow. That's awesome. So it was pretty cool. We played another couple songs. It was a good time. Oh, that is awesome. Now, I have one thing to say to you. Now, if you could have the one band I would say that should perform on Live with Daryl's House, and this is a curveball, is De La Soul. I think they would be awesome since they sampled uh, I Can't Go For That. And they're the oh, only. Right. Okay. They're the only band that got uh, hip. There were the first hip hop artists to get inducted into the Library House of Congress for music for okay. Three Feet High and Rising. Their albums aren't on iTunes at all because they won't, because Tommy Boy won't pay the distribution for the royalties for it. So they got screwed right. out of it. So think about that. Like all the music they have, and they can't even, you can't even get it on iTunes or any digital platform now. 
it's crazy. You know, the, um, and that's always been a big challenge. I think for, for Daryl's show is that, uh, any of the artists that, you know, I think Daryl at some point wanted to maybe put out, uh, like a box set, right. you know, of a compilation, but the record companies just want like these crazy exorbitant licensing fees, you know? Oh shit. Yeah. It's I didn't just, even think it's about just that. such a shame, but, um, but yeah, I remember them. They're, they're, you know, if we go back into production again, anything is possible. <laughs> uh, that, that would be good. That would be good. Uh, yeah. Now, uh, I want to ask before you go, just Shogun, do you have any questions? Well, I'm, you, you mentioned the White House as being one of the, like your hallmark experiences, and I, I imagine you've done quite a bit of shows. Um, now, out, outside of the experiences you shared already, do you have something that's at the top of your list that um, is either the craziest story or the wildest experience that you're willing to share with us? Well, you know, there's actually no crazy wild experiences. There's no like really outrageous, like rock and roll story. <laughs> you <Okay>. know, <laughs> uh, I've heard some from other people, but I haven't necessarily had them. I would say aside from the white house, the, the, the biggest and most impactful experience I've ever had um, is playing Madison square garden mm, because yeah. I grew up, if, I don't know if you know, I, I grew up with, with a, a, still one of my best friends. We kind of started our instruments together in Norwalk, and uh, his father was in the music business. So I met him when I was 10 years old. He was 11, 11 and a half. Yeah, Kevin Tatoyan, I was a drummer. Right? He's a bass player. And his father was in the music business and introduced us to everybody. And every week took us into New York. So Kevin and I would get on a train. Uh, in South Norwalk or in Westport, and we would meet his father at Grand Central, and then we would go many, many weekends. We would go to Madison Square Garden and see Alice Cooper. We would see The Who. We would see Elton John, Peter Frampton. I was jamming with when I was 14 because of him. Wow. And um, so the Madison Square Garden just was like it was it was larger than life it was the most special venue i could ever dream about playing and you know and now i've played it three times but the first time i played there was just you know it was uh it was one of those full circle moments in your life <laughs> where you go wow i just i did that <laughs> you know one of the strongest memories i've ever had kind of came true so it was a uh, very very fortunate there's so much nostalgia every time you play but I mean, I've I've been very lucky to play all these places all over the world. You know, the Budokan in Japan several times, and the Hollywood Bowl and Wembley, and uh, you name it. Wow! Mm -hmm. wow. Cheap Trick yeah. at Budokan. That was their most famous album, right? Wasn't it? What's that? Cheap Trick. What didn't they do live at Budokan? Oh, yeah. Is that the right yeah, album? I want record. you to want me. It's a great you know, record. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, Cheap Trick. And like I said, I was a huge Cheap Trick fan. So when they came out with Live at Budokan, I mean, they basically put Budokan on the map yeah. for, for for the United States. You know, I mean, the Beatles had played there, and the Who had played there. Uh, I think Hendrix played there. It was a legendary arena, yeah. and it was like. You know, the equivalent of Madison Square Garden in Japan in Tokyo. Yeah, she, she um, So I was always street. familiar with it from the cheap trick reference. So, um, you know, playing there was, was almost as, as memorable as playing um, uh, Madison Square Garden. In fact, I think I just, I, on, you know, on Facebook, your memories come up. And actually today, 
uh, I think I, uh, I, sh- I reshared the memory of five years ago when, when we played Budokan. Oh, that's awesome. Happy anniversary. Yeah, yeah happy anniversary. Those Facebook yeah, exactly. memories, always, <laughs> they always make me feel good at either now in 2020, like, oh, man, I remember I used to do that. And for a glimpse, I'm happy. And then after that, I'm kind of pissed off. I know. I know. Yeah, it's, it's it'll it'll all turn around, though. I really do. I always, you know, I'm a pretty optimistic person. And uh, I'm always thinking there's going to be some sort of silver lining to all of this. You know, I mean, on a personal level. I mean, nobody wants to go through this. Nobody wants to see anybody get sick or especially die. Right. Uh, but in a personal way, I'm sort of, you know, it, it's sort of nice uh, to have broken my routine. You know, as mm-hmm. much as it, incredible as it is touring every year with Hall & Oates, like I said, we were just starting our tour in February with Squeeze and KT Tunstall. And, uh, wow. you know, we had the whole year booked and I had about 30 solo shows booked, but I've been doing this every single year. And sometimes, you know, you need to kind of just put the brakes on and kind of, you know, get outside of your normal routine. And this certainly was that opportunity. So, uh, you know, I'm trying to make the best of it and, um, you know, re-navigate to, uh, to a better place, hopefully. Mm, mm. Now I got, I got another question for you. Uh, yeah. Do you partake in cannabis activities? Because usually uh, we, we ask it, what your favorite strain is during 2020. Um, I, you know, I don't, I do, but I don't know the strains. I mean. Well, is uh, it indica or sativa? I do the the sleepy one. Indica. <laughs> All right. Yeah. There we go. Indica. That's, everyone has, the everyone same has said the same answer. I'm always curious. I want to find out the one person who likes being wound up and paranoid with sativa in 2020. You don't need <laughs> yeah, that. No, I do not. I, yeah. I like the, the mellow one. Yeah. And, and I don't do much. Right. You know, I, but I do the CBD oil a little bit, you know, yeah. uh, not quite as effective, but uh, but, you know, it helps. Well, as a thank you for doing the interview, we have our sponsor. Uh, they're called The Remedy, and they're the first and only craft CBD store in Connecticut. So we'd love to send you out a package for uh, doing the interview as a thanks. Oh, awesome. Thank you. Awesome. So um, for all our listeners out there, you can check out Elliot Lewis, ElliotLewis.com, right? And is it at, yeah. at Elliot Lewis on every other social media, correct? Exactly. All right. And do you want to say anything to anybody before you go? Uh, yeah, I just want to say thank you for listening. Thank you for having me. And uh, I hope everybody stays safe and stays well and stays focused on the future because uh, it, it will be better than it was. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you, man. Now, yeah. Elliot, before you go, next time, like, it, we would love to have you on again. Maybe uh, yeah. next time, if you can come in studio, it would be awesome. We'll, we'll have some food, hang out, and whatever. Yeah, I would love to. I would love to. I had some stuff going on today, but um, you, where did you say you guys are in Shelton? We're in Shelton. Yeah, I was thinking maybe you and Dee could do like a little uh, solo acoustic thing and we could do an interview one time. Absolutely, man. I would love to, really. Yeah, yeah let's, uh, we'll set up a date for sure. Awesome, man. Yeah. Thank, thank you so much. You're welcome. Thanks, guys. All, All right. Have, have a good, good night. Night. All right. Take care, man. All right. Bye. All right. Bye. Bye. All right. That was Elliot Lewis. Tune in next week. Same. Tune in next week. Same. Bad time. Same. Bad podcast. Same. Bad studio. <laughs> Modern. Problem. Show.